Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Work Green, Earn Green. I'm Jay Tipton. This week, we are exploring the green job opportunities throughout the great state of Illinois. Now, I'm sure that when many of you think about Illinois, you automatically think about Chicago. And listen, I get it. Chicago is an incredible city, which sometimes feels like it could stand completely on its own. But there is much more to the state. For example, you've got Springfield, which is the state's capital. There's also Champaign-Urbana, or what the locals call Shambana. That's where the University of Illinois is located. I happen to spend quite a lot of time in Shambana during my college years visiting my university sweetheart, which didn't exactly make my Indiana University friends too happy. But like Huey Lewis in the news says, that's the power of love. But enough of that. The point is, Illinois is much more than just the shy. So what's going on in the land of Lincoln? Well, just like the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series in 2016, it is electrifying. And I mean that literally. Big electric vehicle players like Rivian and Lion Electric are rapidly growing in Illinois. Production of electric SUVs, trucks, delivery vans, and buses are all expanding across the state in cities like Normal and Joliet. And what does that mean? You guessed it, jobs. So to get this show on the road, I wanted to hear from a local expert. Who better to call upon than my budding best friend, environmental consultant Paula DePerna. Loyal listeners out there may have noticed Paula is a frequent guest on the podcast, and there are many good reasons for that. As a former Illinois resident, Paula ran the Joyce Foundation in Chicago, which was at the forefront of thinking about the relationship between environmentalism and philanthropy. She also pioneered the Chicago Climate Exchange, or CCX, which introduced carbon markets and emissions trading worldwide. So when you think about Illinois, you can't help but think of what we used to call the Rust Belt. How inspiring. I mean, you travel around in the Midwest and you look at these gigantic silos and bridges and infrastructure that was built with American steel, manufactured in America, built with American labor and transporting American products. And then that economy kind of disappeared with the offshoring of American manufacturing and the labor union movement that was very strong weakened. The U.S. labor movement has deep roots in Illinois. By the end of the 19th century, Illinois was a literal battleground where workers' rights were fought for with bloodshed and tears. In fact, five of the most significant events in our nation's labor history have taken place within the state. From the formation of the Knights of Labor, to the establishment of the eight-hour workday, to the strike that led to the creation of Labor Day, Illinois has been at the epicenter of protecting the rights and interests of workers for nearly 130 years. And when it comes to transitioning to a greener economy, their priorities have remained the same. What makes Illinois different in terms of the greening of the economy is that they've been able to get labor behind a major piece of legislation with a specific outcome, which is to address climate change and reduce emissions and train workers. And why is it that Illinois is the only state where unions have gotten behind this green transition? And why haven't other states' labor unions jumped on the bandwagon? Traditionally, you had this idea of choice. You either protect the environment or develop the economy. And unions were on the side of economic growth. Older labor union leaders were trying to hang on to this 
legacy economy. Now, I think what you see is, first of all, a new generation of leaders. You see the public waking up to the fact that working from home and not having a pension and not being able to get a minimum wage is not so great. Now, the unions are gradually buying in to the idea of a green economy because they see the jobs at the end of the road. So unlike other states where unions have resisted transitioning away from legacy jobs, in Illinois, unions actually lobbied for the passing of green legislation, most notably the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, also known as CEJA. CEJA was signed into law in September of 2021, and it is the most equitable clean energy bill of its kind, with a focus on workforce development, job transitions, public transit, and renewable energy access for all. It also makes Illinois the first coal-producing and the first Midwestern state to commit to a carbon-free future. In order to get a sense of the role unions played in getting this monumental legislation signed into law, I spoke with Pat Devaney, Secretary-Treasurer of the Illinois AFL-CIO, which is the state's federation of labor. The AFL-CIO represents about 900,000 union workers and 1,500 affiliates across Illinois. 900,000, is that what you said? 900,000 union workers <laughs> in Illinois, from airline pilots to zookeepers. Every type of occupation is represented. The AFL-CIO advocates for working people by cooperating with legislators and lawmakers to enact or defend workers' rights. After a 2016 bill named the Future Energy Jobs Act failed to enact labor standards that were up to snuff, union affiliates created the Clean Jobs Illinois Coalition. The coalition put together a proposal that would connect union workers with well-paying jobs in the clean energy sector. We created a group made up of a dozen of our affiliates from the construction trades to service employees that had a lot of different perspectives on energy sector jobs. And we put together our own proactive legislative proposal. So it put us in a really good position when we entered negotiations in the spring of 2021. Eventually, through some very, very contentious and difficult negotiations, we ended up with an agreement. But with nearly a million members across multiple industries, including ones that will disappear as the state goes greener, how was the AFL-CIO able to convince all their affiliates that this proposal was the right move? The first piece that we did with our affiliates was an education piece and an acknowledgement that, hey, we believe climate change is a thing and we know we need to transition to a greener energy economy. So we had that difficult conversation with our affiliates that have significant exposure and a lot of members that work in fossil generation. And so, you know, working to provide an educational piece helped us transition into creating policy around it that we would put forward that was in workers' best interest. That really helped us get to where we needed to be. As a current student, I couldn't agree more with the importance of providing an educational piece. But I'm curious, how can the AFL-CIO safeguard its members who work in coal and oil while negotiating a bill that sets to reduce and eliminate those fields? We need to support workers that are transitioning from fossil industry generation to other types of employment. There's going to be needed a big pipeline of workers to be able to work in that field and to be able to work on these projects. That requires training. Fortunately, CJA also allocates funding for retraining and upskilling programs to ensure workers don't get left behind. And there's also provisions in the bill that require some continued support for closures as they're happening. So for those coal generation facilities that are going to be phased out, we have financial support for the transition of those facilities into utility scale solar generation and battery storage. 
so people at those facilities will have opportunities around that as well. The bill also ensures that new renewable energy projects incorporate union tradesmen. And that is a major development because, as Pat explained to me, previous legislation allowed developers to hire people for minimum wage with no benefits. We saw five years of history where these renewable energy developers were coming in from out of state and they're posting notices like bulletin board about minimum wage jobs with no benefits for a short period of time where workers just weren't being respected or were treated in the way that we believe this growing sector should be treating workers. But thanks to the unions, those conditions are a thing of the past. Now, all renewable energy development projects have to pay prevailing wage and require labor standards by law. And as the state's green transition gets underway, Illinois is trying to bring workers along because CJA isn't just a climate policy. It's also an equitable jobs act that is investing $80 million per year into workforce development programs with black and brown communities at the forefront. We're building the capacity of contractors, entrepreneurs, enterprises in the neighborhood. We are doing workforce training that's customized for those businesses, and we are educating markets, whether they're households or whether they're businesses, in how to take advantage of the many programs out there that are going to help us transition as the climate changes. That was Naomi Davis, founder and CEO of Blacks and Green, or BIG. BIG is a Chicago-based nonprofit and economic development organization that is working to advance green village building. That means that we are at the intersection of environment and economy, looking at reinventing the redevelopment of Black spaces. And at the very, very heart of our work is our theory of change must increase household income of the legacy residents of a neighborhood. Naomi was inspired to start big after seeing the idyllic neighborhood she grew up in become run down and witnessing children of color playing in hazardous vacant lots filled with toxins. I was so heartbroken and in such despair about being raised in a mixed income, walkable village in a Black community, and seeing over the arc of my adulthood, 50 years of civil rights progress shredded in slow motion. And that walk to work, walk to shop, walk to learn, walk to play village, to watch that go extinct was unbearable for me. And so big is creating workforce development programs that are looking to the well-paying green jobs of tomorrow while keeping an eye on the prize of long-term financial success. We're not just looking at creating a universe of installers, but we are looking beyond that to the myriad, myriad uh, related infrastructural needs that go hand in hand with renewable energy upgrades. The workforce programs that we've done, are promising jobs to the successful graduates. And those are jobs that are currently paying $17 an hour, but that we have on an ownership track because we believe in ownership of the businesses. And so anyone who comes into our program is working to qualify themselves to be an owner in a business that we're going to be growing citywide and nationally. Big has been working with the Illinois Clean Jobs Coalition to put equity at the center of the clean energy transition. 
They've done so by creating clean job workforce hubs, ClimateWorks pre-apprenticeship programs, contractor incubator programs, and ensuring that there are career opportunities for the formerly incarcerated. We believe in that village where African-Americans own the businesses, own the land, and live the conservation lifestyle. And when you are owning the transformation of your own community because you are leading the greening of your community, you are a real modern-day champion. We're building a clean energy microgrid here, and we're looking to create a pipeline of engineering students coming from our junior highs into our high schools, understanding that there's something really powerful and fun and sexy in a career in STEM and especially engineering of all kinds, and really just not looking at that typical laborer job and God love a good laborer job. Naomi tells me that Big is looking to create a path to 100% employment in Chicago's south and west sides by 2025. And while that's a tall order, she believes Siege's investments in workforce development make it totally possible. And on that note, it's time to take a break. When we come back, we'll hear how another program is training and prepping the state's workforce to achieve one of Siege's most ambitious goals, 1 million electric vehicles on the road by 2030. So how are they doing it? And what jobs are involved along the way? Stay tuned to find out. The way we work and the skills we need to do our jobs are changing fast. What do you need to know to keep up? And how do we as a society ensure everyone has an equal opportunity to succeed in today's workforce? I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Join me each week on the Work in Progress podcast as I go one-on-one with the innovators and decision makers who are helping us navigate our way through these challenges. Welcome back. Before the break, we caught a glimpse into how Siege is providing major investments to workforce development programs, like the ones at Blacks and Green, to prepare workers for the new job opportunities. Now, I want to zoom in on one specific industry that is doing just that the electric vehicle industry. Siege has set the lofty goal of getting 1 million electric vehicles on the road in the next eight years, as well as a huge push for the electrification of public transit. All of this will call for a serious amount of auto workers, from manufacturers to mechanics, who need to be brought up to speed on the new technology. So where can workers go to learn about EVs? Well, for starters, Heartland Community College. We want to make sure that we have the workforce that can support all of the industries that will be a part of CJ. That was Keith Corneal, the president of Heartland. We're in the process of building a brand new facility, thanks to Governor Pritzker, who provided us with $7.5 million for a manufacturing training academy, which we are using for the EVES program. EVES is an acronym for Electric Vehicle and Energy Storage. The program, which just opened its doors last year, offers certifications to individuals with conventional automotive experience who are looking to prepare for the upcoming fleet of EVs. And they're getting some help from a new neighbor. Rivian came into our community in 2017. So then it necessitated us trying to ramp up training and education that would support their initiatives. Rivian is an American auto manufacturer specializing in electric vehicles. They chose Normal, Illinois to be the home of their manufacturing plant. 
In November of last year, Rivian raised over $13.5 billion in financing. That signaled it could be a major competitor to Tesla. But in order to do so, they'll need an EV-educated workforce at a scale that can compete. So they partnered with Heartland to provide both vehicles and personnel. We were able to, to leverage the expertise of people from Rivian. And we're also working on an internship or experience where student will be learning in the classroom and working at Rivian at the same time. But it's not just Rivian. The program incorporates EVs from several automakers, like Chevy and Mitsubishi. We have several manufacturers represented in our lab. Even the Amazon van is available for the students to work on. That was Mike Devers, one of the instructors with Heartland's EVES program. With so many different automakers developing electric vehicles, I was curious how much of a game changer EVs were going to be for the auto workers and mechanics who have always worked on combustion engines. But Mike explained to me that when it comes to EVs, nobody's reinventing the wheel, so to speak. So 80% roughly of the systems of a conventional internal combustion car are the same as what you'll find in an EV. It's just that we've replaced the engine and the fuel system with an electric motor and a battery. And those batteries have got to hold some seriously large charges. So how is Heartland teaching students to work on high-voltage batteries in the safest way possible? We are looking at some virtual reality training. If we were able to recreate that battery lab virtually, then they could do those same repair operations without the risk of any danger. I don't know about you all, but if I were working on a car battery, I'd much rather get zapped in VR than real life. And given how many auto workers are going to need EV training, and the fact that a new training center costs upwards of 7 mil, VR may be a good solution to scale up this type of training much faster. But the skills that Heartland provides extend beyond the garage and the assembly line. I realized that when I spoke with Kyle Klein, a Heartland student who is utilizing the EVES program to forge a different career path. I want to learn as much as I can about how to work on these, you know, what problems they may have, how to explain that to a potential customer, because there's going to be a gap between, you know, just like anything else, when, when people first started learning about computers, it's like somebody's got to be there to, to tell them what's going on. So that's where I would like to be. See, I didn't even think about the fact that car salesmen are also going to face a learning curve. They'll need more knowledge as their inventories begin to fill up with EVs from multiple manufacturers. And that got me thinking about the massive amount of jobs that are going to be necessary to fill that big order of 1 million EVs. Beyond the manufacturing and maintenance of the vehicles themselves, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of occupations that are involved in not only getting those cars on the road, but also making sure that they can remain on the road. To get to that million is going to require the uh, work of, of countless people. So it's the supply chain to make the car, the glass, the software that goes into the uh, console so the car can know where the next charging station is. The charging stations themselves, of course, are a whole other kind of infrastructure. They basically have to be pretty much anywhere a gas station is now. And let's not lose sight of the fact that electric vehicles encompass more than just the cars parked in your garage. Illinois is talking about the, the whole industry that's trains and tractors and trucks. It's across the board. And so it is a revolution. And it's as significant, really, as the shift away from uh, horse and buggies was to motor-powered cars. The growth of the automobile industry caused an economic revolution, which allowed dozens of spinoff industries to also thrive. 
So if history is any indicator, does that mean Illinois' ambitious EV goals could spark a similar economic boom? Seems like Illinois would be ideally positioned to maximize them. It has a history in supplying parts to Detroit, especially glass and seats and mats and things that go into a car. I think that if there's a focal point for building the cars in in and around Illinois, you can imagine things being produced there going out to the rest of the country. That sounds great in theory, but I wonder if there's any reason to worry that Siege's million vehicle aspiration might get a flat tire. Back to the idea of selling the cars, the public needs to believe that these cars can be flexible and can carry them through the things they need to do, and also with a cushion for things they don't think about in advance. And so all the things that will help eliminate range anxiety depend on workers being able to make sure the car has the right batteries and the right feedback to the driver so the driver can be comfortable that that car is charged enough or can become charged enough. So once again, it all ties back to jobs which is why Siege's large investments in workforce development are so vital and forward-thinking. It's very exciting that Illinois includes its planning for the workforce, because no workforce, no vehicles. It's not just a sector or an industry. It's a labor infrastructure that has to be built. And there's all kinds of potential opportunity for people at all levels. We can make a mark for ourselves in the electric transportation field, because of our geographical location, our history with supply chain, our history of relationship with Detroit, all of our legacy advantages, I think building in a projection of how to develop the workforce is very critical to meeting the goal. So the advent of the EV revolution in Illinois is nigh, and if achieved, will add a million vehicles to the state's highways and byways. But all those babies will need to be charged daily, and that is going to put some serious strain on Illinois' grid. Which is pretty tricky given the fact that they're actively reducing their reliance on fossil fuels to power it. So how is the state going to make up for the energy lost by eliminating gas and coal? The answer is after the break, when we'll hear how Illinois is planning to generate enough energy via renewables to power all those new vehicles. Stick around. If you're curious about green jobs, good news. Working Nation has even more content for you to dive into. Alicia Clark here, producer of Work Green, Earn Green, and I'm excited to share that a new edition of our video series, I Want That Job, is available now. Each episode features careers that are in high demand and help save the environment, like construction managers, geologists, and some others that may surprise you. So be sure to check them out. Subscribe now to the Working Nation YouTube channel and follow the hashtag GreenJobsNow. And we're back. Now, as Illinois amasses 1 million EVs and electrifies its public transit, it's going to need a whole lot of energy to power all those vehicles. But at the same time, CJA has set into law a plan to reduce fossil fuel consumption to zero. Currently, fossil fuels account for nearly half of the state's electricity. So how is the state planning to replace that lost energy production? Well, one solution is large-scale wind and solar. Illinois is going to be the Saudi Arabia of renewable energy. We have an absolutely robust electrical infrastructure across the state tied to our manufacturing history. We're a strong state for wind. We have way more sunny days than people give us credit for. And Illinois is winning the race that's occurring right now across the Midwest. That was John Carson, managing partner of Trajectory Energy Partners. 
Trajectory is a renewable energy developer that brings together landowners and energy consumers to develop large-scale solar projects in Illinois' rural communities. I believe renewables are the key to tackling the biggest challenge of this century, climate change, and it is going to happen or not happen in rural America. I'm all for every solar panel we can put up in Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles. That is not going to get the job done. The bulk of renewables are going to happen in rural America, and I'm personally just so passionate about the opportunity it creates to connect rural, urban, and suburban areas. As we learn from our time in Arkansas, rural farmers are very proud and protective of their land. So I wanted to know how landowners are reacting to the idea of large-scale solar projects going up in their neck of the woods. It is just the most fascinating time right now, Jay, on what's happening with renewable energy in these communities. The conversations I'm having with farmers, with rural elected officials, they recognize that this is the top form of economic development that's happening in their communities. If you picked 10 Illinois farmers at random and you picked 10 Illinois Sierra Club members at random and quizzed them the farmers would know more about renewable energy policy in Illinois right now. So where exactly does John's company fit into the puzzle of building these renewable energy projects? We take these projects to shovel ready. So we're lining up all the permits that are needed, the leases for the land, all the design and engineering work. And then we bring in a financing partner who is paying for the project is the long-term owner-operator, and also hiring that construction firm that's going to build the project. Sounds like there are a number of players that go into these projects, which means my favorite thing, lots and lots of J-O-B-S jobs. And as John explained, not just the ones typically associated with wiring and construction. I want to emphasize how much activity occurs before the first post gets driven into the ground. The legal work, the title work, the site diligence work, people are out there doing surveys of the land. It's a really crucial piece of building these projects. These projects seem pretty substantial. So I was wondering, how much time does it take to get one of these projects done? Rapid speed would be two years. Many of the projects are three or four years. So what does the job outlook like for these workers once a project is completed after a few years? It's much like the housing sector. There aren't very many job, permanent jobs in building a house, but there's a lot of jobs in the housing sector. And that's going to be where the majority of jobs are in clean energy. And by the time we actually build all the projects that we need, we'll be right back at the start again, rebuilding those ones that were built 30 years ago. Ah, gotcha. It seems to me like these carbon reduction initiatives are paving the way for long-term job stability as well. So with all of the various roles involved in building a renewable project, I wanted to know if Trajectory is working with the unions to get the jobs done. Our company has built all our projects in Illinois with union labor. I think we need to show that renewable energy jobs are real wealth-creating, middle-class supporting jobs. And I think the number one way to do that is to work with union companies. And I'm really proud to say that Illinois is absolutely leading the way on this. All right. Last question, because I wouldn't be a good host if I didn't ask. So would you consider all of the jobs inside of your company to be green jobs? 
Oh, 100%. Our controller who's taking care of the books, our intern who's doing an awesome job on our website, you know, they're not out there attaching solar panels to aluminum racking, but they are just as much part of this economy as anybody else. Now, that's what I like to hear, which prompts me to say it's important to keep in mind that the green economy across the U.S. is much bigger than many of us think it is. Just like an EV, there are many different moving parts that offer some great opportunity. And thanks to some forward-thinking groups who decided to work together, Illinois has teed up the ball with some impressively ambitious goals that can lead to a lot of success. Now let's wait and see if the state can hit a green job grand slam. And if they do, I'll be flying the W flag. Thanks for listening to another episode of Work Green, Earn Green and for joining me on the Illinois circuit. Tune in next time for a very special Earth Day episode. Also, make sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast and share, share, share. Finally, don't forget to visit WorkingNation.com to find additional content on green jobs. Later days. This podcast is produced by Alicia Clark and executive produced by Melissa Panzer, Joan Lynch, and Art Bilger. It's written by Jay Tipton and Mike Zunick. Edited and sound mixed by Linz Florn. Assistant editor is Meng Fang Yang. Talent producer is Emily Lelouse, and the associate producer is Eve Bilger. Music is by Avocado Junkie. And this podcast is made possible by the Walton Family Foundation.